I want people to understand that what they do on a daily basis matters in terms of where they work, what they build, how they shop, how they approach you know, life in their community. You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay and welcome to the 108th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series and I'm excited to welcome Bradley Limer to the show. Bradley is the author of Beyond Good, founder at Unconventional Ventures and co-host of the One Vision podcast. And today we're going to talk about how technology is leading a purpose-driven business revolution. Welcome to the show, Bradley here man it's good to be here let me ask before we get started in this conversation i just i always like to start off on a positive note what is exciting what is good for you right now personally or professionally that's a good one i think working with the type of clients that we get a chance to work with every single week is very satisfying so i work with startups and we work with corporates and doing an awful lot of writing and sort of positioning and strategy with very small and very big, you know? So it's like from IBM down to a startup with two people or napkin stage, you know, startups that are looking for just advice about where to go next. And that's always been, you know, sort of the space that I'm happiest in is being able to sort of take big old beast and kind of wave its flag and tail at itself and say, you need to change. And then going down to this place where people are making that change. Yeah, you know, I my wife's cousin, so my wife is Lebanese, and her cousin is in the mortgage space, and he, you know, has been seeing my journey, and he, so he was like, so what is it, what exactly do you do? And I was like, well, I'm a digital anthropologist, so I play <laughs> the, the, the intersection between marketing and sales and technology and human behavior. He was like, so what does that mean? What, like, tell me what you do. I was like, look, let me make it very simple. I bring the future into the present moment to provide some clarity into what the future could be. So that financial brands and their marketing, their sales, their leadership teams, it, the future just doesn't seem so scary anymore. Because I think there's like that just an inherent fear, right? Fear of the unknown and fear of change. And it's like that risk aversion that's a strength of this industry can also be a, it's a double-edged sword. It can also be the Achilles heel that prevents us from maximizing our, our potential as, as a whole as an industry. And so you wrote a book Let's talk about the new book here, the new book you have out, Beyond Good. I want to start by getting into why write this book in the first place, because I know that you didn't grow up thinking that you'd ever work at a bank, yet alone be tethered to the banking industry for that matter. And what inspired you to make the commitment, because it is a commitment to write a book like this? Yeah. And it's also, you know, I think a commitment to write something that ended up being during the pandemic. And I think that definitely changed the way that, that we approached the book. I think the reasoning behind it was that for the last couple of years, we've been working with so many founders and so many companies that really think differently. 
And so we wanted to highlight those voices a bit more and in a very structured way and sort of look at um, good business models that were within financial services that really demonstrated what um, they found in a study that we worked with um, Oliver Wyman and Flourish Ventures, which is part of a mid-year, mid-year group, that there could be good things in banking and good things in financial services in ways that you could help people that actually are still profitable and still have good businesses behind it. So that's really what the book is about. Yeah, and I, I'm right there with you. And you, you were mentioning something like it's just your history, your background that has imparted something on you that is always looking for the good. It's always looking for something to be even better. And I'm right there with you. How has that history, that journey that you've taken brought you to this point? And then what's the future? What's the vision that you, you hope to inspire others to take a journey and walk down with you together hand in hand? You know, I think the book was really that journey. I want people to understand that what they do on a daily basis matters in terms of where they work, what they build, how they shop, how they approach, you know, life in their community. And it's about looking at, you know, sort of a larger systems way of thinking and the choices that we make in life really, really matter. And so I started on my career, you know, working with financial data and then worked at a credit union and then worked at a community bank and then worked at one of the largest banks in the world. And through all, all that, you know, sort of experience, I've always been gravitating toward people that are making a difference in people's lives. And it turns out to be, you know, their financial lives. Yeah. Because the thing is, is like, you know, if we think about the role of money and the stress that it puts on people now more than ever before, and really at the end of the day, people, I believe want three things. They want to, they want to feel healthy. They want to feel wealthy and it's not to be a bazillionaire. I think wealth, it can be measured in multiple states, but all of that impacts the, what we're all working towards with Maslow is that higher self. It's the, I want to be happy. And when you think about money and finances, it's the thread that connects all three together. And one of the things that you've noted is you believe inclusivity doesn't require creativity. It requires empathy. And that empathy is really the greatest source of innovation when we're thinking about the opportunities here to to go beyond good. And so when we think about empathy, one of the things that I teach is EQ plus AQ is greater than IQ in this age of AI. And so where are the opportunities for financial brands in regards to empathy being the greatest source of innovation in this post-COVID world that we're all navigating and journeying through together? I think the, the most important you know, thing about innovation and where we have seen things happen is that innovation can't just be for efficiencies and can't just sort of point back into the organization as mm. a form of profit. You know, what we found over the last 16 months of this pandemic is that so many businesses have had to pivot and, you know, they did it to survive. They did it so that, you know, they could do any sort of semblance of normal during this time. And a lot of that though, that survival was survival of the top, you know, survival of, of the founder of the CEO of the, you know, because we've seen business models just go awry. And the most important thing is for us to think about how our business impacts the people around us, yes. the people that are our customers. And if you're not building something that, you know, is helping people, if you're not like in 
financial services for that reason to actually help people with their own financial lives. What are you doing? Yeah. And that's where when diving into your book, Beyond Good, you open up referencing the changing tides. And my gosh, have we seen the tide change over the last you know 15 to 18 months with COVID. And so what are those tides that you've seen transform through your work, through your research, through your experience and, and believing now longevity is going to be kind of the new normal here as we move forward? Yeah. I mean, in the last you know, hundred years, well, the hundred, 150 years, we've doubled our lifetime. And just in the last you know, hundred years, it's 30 plus years. And so we're healthier. We're living longer. Our finances totally don't reflect that. Mm-mm. So that is one key thing that is driving, you know, change across economies, but across, you know, countries and our communities is that we no longer can think about our lives alone. Think about, they, they talk about the sandwich generation, but the sandwich generation is going to be the norm, you know, where you have young kids in the house and you're helping take care of older you know, adults that are your parents or other people in your family. That's a norm. And so that that's one thing. We also talk about changing tides in terms of the future of work and how the gig economy is sort of shifting, not just the way that we think of people driving and delivering and these type of things, but the whole nature of work is more transitory. The type of jobs that we have are going to be more transitory. And the type of people that are doing, you know, quote unquote, gig work or temporary work or, you know, just I'm doing this for these six months and so on and so on. There's so many changes. And so we talk about that. We talk about sort of the rise of the entrepreneur and small business. We talk about all of these different ways that our lives are changing, that technology impacts. And we talk about that intersection. And then we sort of always kind of draw back to this different examples in banking because we just have to change our mindset. We have to think longer term. Yes. And I, so I'm in an executive coaching program, strategic coach with Dan Sullivan. And I'll never forget one of the very first questions that I got asked was it's called the lifetime extender exercise. And the exercise goes like this, write down the day that you think you're going to die. I think I probably wrote something like, I don't know, 83, 84, 85, something like that. And then back to your point, we're living longer. Healthcare's improved. Technology's transforming everything. If we get an extension, what do you think that new date would be? I wrote down 123. And it was more of just a random number that I picked out because I always see 123 on clock. So I was like, maybe that's a sign. (laughs) Playing around in my head. And then the the question was, is you take 123 minus the 85, that's the extra lifespan that you're going to get. If you got that, what would you do with your time? I was like, that's a really good question. So we start writing down what we would do with that extra time. Then the follow-up response to that was, why are you waiting to do that? Why don't you start doing that now? And that really set me on a, a, a massive course and a massive path to just think, I think, differently. And so one of the things that you note in the book around this idea of thinking differently, looking at the trends, looking at the changing tide is inclusion. Inclusion has been a growing area of focus on opportunity through many different lenses. What are some of the foundations of inclusions that you note in Beyond Good? And, and on that note, how would you frame them as opportunities when thinking about the what you call uh, the forgotten? Yeah, so, so when we, we think about you know, inclusion, we tend to you know, at least in financial services, think about people that don't have a bank account. 
as if that's the thing that matters the most right. <laughs> because that bank account is our central thinking because that's the way we make money. Yeah. When we think about the people that are excluded, it's not just people that are bankless. You know, these are people that have been marginalized. Even, you know, if you look at something, the biggest thing that we look at is, is the difference in gender. Mm-hmm. You know, the opportunity cost of being a woman in today's yes. world, you know, it's no different than what it was a hundred years ago, but it's more complex now Yeah, because more women are on their own. More women are living even longer. You know, there's potentially, you know, a large percentage of women that are going to have 20 to 30 years of their life alone because they simply live longer. And well, men are kind of stupid sometimes and that's why they die young. I, <laughs> I don't know, but okay. So, so beyond gender parity, we talk about people that have been marginalized, whether it's because they're LGBTQ, whether there are immigrants coming from one country to another. And we, we talk about this idea that when you're in banking, it's not about creating a segment around some of these groups, because these groups, it's life. You're trying to simply help people. And you know, it's, it's not when you think about the kind of neobanks that are starting now, like First Boulevard for African-Americans and Cheese for Asian-Americans and you know, Daylight for LGBTQ and so on and so on. It's about understanding your community that you serve and understanding their very specific needs. And that is really where I'm excited about some of the work that like Jeffrey Kindle is doing over at Nimbus and this perspective of niche banking and really focusing on solving problems for the few, but at a macro level. So like looking for like, what are the few problems that a mass number of people have? Like women, right? Women, you know, I can't help but think of Sherry Storm and a lot of the work that she's been doing on that subject over the years with Verity Moms and then now doing advisory work on the subject. I just was having a conversation with another financial brand yesterday and they were like, well, we're looking at like new market opportunities. What do you think about moms? What do you think about mothers? And I'm like, that it's a massive opportunity, particularly if you're looking at multi-generational banking because that those patterns and trends get then passed down to the next generation. You mentioned the sandwich generation. I know Rami, like just saw Rami Sergalon is now working to start up Firstly, which is gonna be focused on that sandwich generation. So one of the things that I see holds financial brands back around focus and niching down, if you will, is fear. It's like, what are we going to have to give up? Because we've been kind of commoditized. We've been standardized, but it's like we're going to we're giving up in our own minds. How can we transform that thinking? We're not giving up. We're actually creating far more value through focus. Where would that thought go for you to advise others? Yeah, I think it's it is in the mindset of of how short term everything is in this yes. industry. And if we're driving toward you know the, the monthly reporting and the quarterly, quarterly. financial reports and in our earning statements, it's the wrong place to start. Because what has happened over the last 25, 30 years is that we have completely unbundled the relationship of any sort of financial institution sort of place in our life. And it's not digital that has done that. It is financial institutions tearing apart their products, tearing apart the services and siloing, you know, these balance sheets within the organization, even small institutions that are quote unquote community focused really still have this challenge because they're trying to compete against chase. Mm. And they think that that somehow is their competition, but they're taking away their own superpower, which is their tie in to the community, which is their place in the community, which is the fact that all of their employees are in their community. And, you know, when I think about big bank, small bank, and I think about the experience of 
walking the streets of Oakland and actually talking to people about becoming members of a credit union or going to my select employee group, you know, meetings where I'm talking to the employers or the employees of, of the SEG that's sponsored as in Kaiser Permanente. And I think that was the connection is that you're, you've lost that in banking. And so we, we all wonder why has fintech started to like erode your relationship and why have neobanks, you know, like Chime have 10, 15 million customers and how is new bank in South or South America, like eating up Brazil's market. And, and, you know, it's just, come on, banks did this to themselves. Technology has transformed our world and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to because James Robert wrote the book that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Now back to the show. I agree. And I think that's where, you know, it's a good transition into what you write about in the book called the profit conundrum. And this is an area that I also touched on in banking on digital growth, because it's what is the purpose of profit and what is the profit of purpose? Can you expand on, on those two ideas? Yeah, so that part of the book we wrote about, and this is, we're talking about Beyond Good, which I co-wrote with Theo Lau, and you can get more information at beyondgoodbook.com. The section on profit was really about questioning whether or not there were businesses that could be profitable while they still served the purpose of helping people. And, and that's exactly kind of a good segue, like you said, from where we were before with siloed, you know, sort of profitability where deposits have a certain level, you know, that they're basically there just to park so that we can lend it out and everything else. The balance sheet of a bank is completely upside down in terms of the value to the consumer and what's important to the consumer. Siloing people, you know, in terms of, hey, they have mortgage debt or they have consumer loan debt or they have credit card debt and not thinking about the consumer's profitability, you know, what they actually are earning on their deposits or getting in their terms of their wealth exchange. This is what happens when you unbundle. And so profit to me is something that we see companies like Aspiration that, you know, is thinking more broadly about long-term climate changes and long-term financial health of its customers in a totally different way. We see companies like Even Financial, which partners with with Walmart to even out people's paychecks because, well, Walmart kind of enforces this idea that, you know, maybe this week you're working 30 hours, maybe next week you're working 20, and then you're doing 40. Well, we need to be able to like actually smooth out people's income. These are companies that are finding models that are helping people and are profitable and are growing. And, you know, in, in the end of the day, how much profit do you need? You know, I was part of a bank that, you know, was making billions of dollars every single quarter. And we look at Chase and we look at Bank of America and all these other big banks. And it's like, they've got an opportunity to take a little bit of that profit and actually be a little bit more innovative 
solve the needs of the people that are their customers and reach out to more people that could be more of their long-term customers, but they don't think long-term enough. I think there's also an opportunity here to look outside to grow inside. That was a keynote mm-hmm. that I was giving going back probably five, six, seven, eight years now, because I've always been one to look outside of the industry. What are the trends? What are the patterns that we're seeing? And I want to highlight Kendra Scott, kendrascott.com. It's a they're jewelry designer based out of Austin, Texas. And I had no idea, honestly, who Kendra Scott was before Christmas 2020. You know, it was the year of the pandemic and my wife wanted to do something really special for, we have four kids and she wanted to do something special for all the teachers, something that we've never done before because we were just so grateful for all that they've done for our children and their peers from such a crazy year. And so we we learned that teachers love Kendra Scott. So I'm like, well, who is Kendra Scott? What is this brand? And one of the big things that I found just by exploring the brand is not only do they provide jewelry, they're a purpose-driven company rooted in giving back. And the ways that they give back is really around health and and wellness, around education and, and entrepreneurship and empowerment all for women. And I'm like, well, no wonder why there's such a strong brand affinity because it's much more than just a piece of jewelry that you're getting or receiving or giving. You're giving to the greater good with a greater purpose, a greater mission, a greater vision. And when we think about this idea of the greater good going beyond good, as we look ahead three to five years, what is the way forward? What is the path that financial brands can travel to put purpose at the center of all of their thinking and doing? What would you advise? What would you recommend as we look ahead three to five years? Well, it's kind of like, you know, it's it's this question about, you know, how can technology sort of change the the mindset of these institutions when you think long-term and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's like trying to fit into an AI model, only one color of skin in order to like, you know, envision how to recognize a human being. And you think about the, the issues that have come up with the way the technology tools are built. It's not inclusive. It's a very sort of white driven model. So when I think about the biggest advice would be to, to look at yourself Look at how you make decisions, look around the boardroom and look at, you know, who's a management and who's actually like reflecting back at you about the type of decisions that you make. Are you actually diverse enough to understand the problems of the communities that you serve? And that's where empathy comes back into play. And I think if... If we can at least be aware of and lean into some of the biases that we might just naturally have, and I'm not saying it's wrong that you have, but it's always questioning, it's challenging yourself. Because I've always said, we have this conversation about digital transformation and why transformation is a challenge and why transformation fails. And I think it's because we we, we, we don't, put, we're putting too much of an emphasis on technology and not enough on the people who are having to deploy that technology. And so for me, for digital transformation in this, in, in this particular conversation for going beyond good to to really become a reality, we have to, there's three transformations that have to happen. Number one, transform the self first and foremost, because when you transform the self, that's when you can then start to transform the team. And when you transform the team, you can transform the organization because organizations are made up of teams. Teams are made up of individuals. So it's almost kind of coming back to the, the, 
the first principle <laughs> and, and starting within. And I'm curious to know, looking ahead, there's the opportunity, and you've addressed this looking at the boardroom and, and those that are making decisions, what might be some of the biggest challenges and roadblocks for financial brands to be aware of, things that could trip them up, things that could hold them back from moving forward and making progress here? I think of it in the same vein of when, when people look at the community and say, well, we're serving our community well, and this is, you know, this is how, and they look at numbers and they, they kind of tie it back to, and, and also we're profitable. So we must be doing the right thing. I would ask, why aren't you changing a little bit more in terms of looking at your own data about who you're serving and looking at sort of this inherent bias that's within our business model itself about who you're lending to and how we're actually going about acquiring new customers. And it's, it's top to bottom, something that I think it's very possible for people to change in an organization, for them to really instill in their teams, a different mindset to explore new areas. And, you know, I, I, I go back to some of the, the parts of the book. We, we talked to um, David Reeling, who's that CEO and founder of um, Sunrise Banks. Yes. And, you know, they're up in Minnesota and they have a large immigrant community and they've reached out to that community to bring in customers that may have a thin or no credit file and they provide loans and they provide support for small businesses to start and they give back to the community a portion of their profit and they're certified B Corp. And that's, yep. that defines them and their mission. And it reminds me an awful lot about credit unions versus bank and the requirements to have CRA, where we're supposed to give back to the community and we have to have locations that we serve in particular parts of our community, because if we didn't, it would be redlining, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you shouldn't have a model that requires and forces you to actually be more inclusive. You should really, really think about who is it that I'm not serving? How can I help a little bit differently? Which is why you know I, we, we point a lot to fintech models that are big and small that are growing. And, you know, you go back and you think about what's happening around the world in Southeast Asia and China. And the story there is that we still have 1.7 billion people that are unbanked or underbanked and giving them access to the system is one thing, but actually enabling them through credit to create small businesses and to create new forms of value through access to payments. That's another thing, but to actually create then an entire ecosystem where they could save they could build wealth, they could move money at, at lower costs. These are things that the West has looked at and made money off of all of those features. Well, right. in other parts of the world, they're actually enabling these things and they're experiencing incredible growth. They've actually added almost 700 million people into the actual banked system. And so when you talk about inclusion and you talk about the premise of the book, it's that large companies have shown us that technology can be leveraged for good, that profit can follow, and that people are better off for it financially and otherwise. And to your point earlier, it's like when you're financially secure, you're more healthy, you live longer, you have better lives, and you do more with it. You know, so there's, there's so much to learn from other parts of the world. And that's another thing about looking outside to improve what's in. And may I go out on a limb with this one? When you're financially secure and well off, and the research shows this, and I think it was Rami who actually did this study with HoneyFi, you have better sex. <laughs> <laughs> and so coming back, I just had to put that out there because as you're talking about this, I, it, it really is at the core of, of elevating people to the next level up. 
and you're talking about David and Sunrise and its value, value creation. I can't help but think of the Global Alliance for Banking on Value and some of the, the financial brands and the work that they're doing there. When we think about change, and, and, and this has been such a, a tremendous conversation today, it's been empowering, it's been enlightening, it's been educating just for me. But when you think about change, change is hard, change is difficult. Change often begins with one small, simple step. As we wrap up and we're thinking about empowering financial brands to go beyond good, what is that one simple step, that action item that you would recommend for the dear listener to put into practice, to make progress? I think it's questioning the what you're doing and the how you're doing it and the who you're doing it to. And, you know, if I always, I look back because I just put out a, a piece in International Banker a couple of weeks back and it, I say, you know, I think that every single financial business model can change and improve the communities they serve. And I said, even the largest bank in the U.S. can shift, not just, you know, a little bit of, you know, a few million here and a few million there and feel good about itself or provide access to maybe ESG, you know, impact investing sort of options within portfolios. I think it's fundamentally top to bottom, changing an organization by saying, how can we do better? How can we improve people's lives? And in our, our context, it's about getting people to be wealthier, getting people to have less worry financially. And so at the end of that article, I said, you know what, Jamie, I'll send you a book. I'll send you this book, Beyond Good. And you'll find that you're not alone in that call. So I hope, I honestly hope that what we're seeing the last, you know, 15, 16 months in a lot of the last decade is really going to change this industry and that people will really look at the examples that are starting to scale, that are giving back more than what we have seen traditionally from banks. So. Well, I guess have to tell you firsthand, I'm grateful for the thinking that you're doing, the work you're doing, the knowledge, the insights that you're sharing, Bradley. And if anyone is listening, they want to connect with you just to grow their network, to learn from you. What's the best way for them to reach out, to say hello, to grab a copy of your book, which I think is extremely important they do that, and then also continue to learn just through your podcast that you have? What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, a couple couple ways. Um, the book is again at beyondgoodbook.com and you could get it anywhere the books are sold in the world. And we also do have a weekly podcast called One Vision, which is on every place that you listen to your podcast. And that One Vision, we talk to founders, we talk to people that are working sort of in startups and in corporates and just throughout the financial services industry and beyond. The other way, you know, people can certainly talk to me on Twitter. I'm at Limer, L-E-I-M-E-R, and also at Bradley at UncommensionalVentures.com. Great. Reach out to Bradley, connect with Bradley, get the book, listen to the podcast, and then help others, help your financial brand continue to go beyond good. Bradley, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.